it has been a week. Two weeks ago, Chesed Shel Emet Cemetery in St. Louis was attacked and met with an outpouring of support and love and generosity from the Muslim community in St. Louis. A week later, last Sunday, the Mount Carmel Cemetery in Philadelphia was desecrated, leaving 529 headstones toppled with similar blessed outpouring of support. And right after, No Pipelines Lancaster announced that Transco Williams is moving ahead on building the Atlantic Sunrise Pipeline that will desecrate sacred Susquehannock burial grounds. Now more than ever, we need sacred spaces. Now more than ever, all people deserve the ability to rededicate once desecrated sacred spaces. Now more than ever, we see that our stories must interlock and tell the stories of all of us. After the last episode came out, a listener, Maria, wrote to Kaddish and pointed out a glaring omission from any discussion of queer reproductive loss. Maria said the following, Like the vast majority of media addressing queer or LGBT issues, you left out the experiences of trans women of color. We face a multitude of obstacles to our potential to reproduce, including several that your guests do not address, such as the sheer level of violence we face in extreme poverty that we live in. We cannot make families if we are being killed, or if we have nowhere to live. There are, of course, an incredible amount of issues around our reproduction and our potential to create families. Maria recommended the article Four Ways to Center Trans Women in the Reproductive Justice Movement by Luna Mayabruja. It's worthy of a few reads, and you can find it over on the Kaddish Facebook page. I am so grateful for this tochacha, this holy rebuke. The trans women who listen to the show are so, so dear to us. The experience of yearning to carry a child, violence that never even allows trans women to consider reproductive futures, prohibitive costs, are all such crucial parts of these stories of reproductive loss. I am sorry for my omission and thankful for our listeners. Your stories matter, and they should be told in their entirety. Before episode 6 comes out in a couple of weeks, I want to share with you some more from Naomi Leapart's interview on queer reproductive loss. Some of this might be familiar if you heard episode 5, and some of it will be brand new. The totality of her message that names grief and expectation and grief of wanting deserves a second listen. We'll see you in a couple of weeks with an episode about cemeteries, burial, and synchronicity. You can check out Kaddish online kaddishpodcast.com, on Facebook, and on Twitter at Kaddish Podcast. You can donate to our fundraiser at bit.ly slash kaddishpodcast, or send me an email at ariana at kaddishpodcast.com. I'm wishing you strength and safety in the coming days. I'm Ariana Katz, and this is Kaddish. My name is Naomi Christine Leapart, and I'm the Faith Work Director at the National LGBTQ Task Force. I'm also um, a born and bred Baptist, and I am currently making my denominational home in the United Church of Christ. So I've been thinking about this, and I, I would say that any loss we can attribute to the expectation of new life, the generation of new life, 
I would consider a reproductive loss. So both in the sort of politicized sense where we're thinking about um, a child that has been lost to a mother who is pregnant, um, we think about a child who's lost at any point in that child's life, um, but also there's loss involved in the expectation of new life that cannot be met for all of the reasons that that could be. Um, so I definitely ref- de- would define reproductive loss in the broad, broad way. First of all, the it, the premise of this is that birthing is a fraught process, just period. So that it's a dangerous period. The incubation of life is really a dangerous tunnel of activity that at any moment something cataclysmic can happen or something subtle can happen and there's extraordinary loss. So I don't want to minimize the point at which loss can be perceived and felt. Um, So for me, I think about loss in terms of my own um, journey, my own reflection about womanness and motherhood. So um, I am a female-bodied person who always imagined that I would bear children uh, in sort of the what they call the natural sense, uh, that I would biologically carry a child to term and then give birth to that child. So if I think about reproductive loss in this broad way, I'm thinking about all of the ways I can experience that loss, whether it's um, my body isn't cooperating with me. Um, and that's not just about the sort of way we've mainstreamed infertility, right? The, oh, it was difficult for me to get pregnant or, oh, I needed some help and support and some counseling to get me through a difficult pregnancy, right? It's, it's like, how do I experience my body as able to um, bring forth life? Uh, so, so reproductive loss from the point of thinking about um, being able to give life all the way through um, the process of becoming pregnant um, to the process of carrying a child um, all the way to the actual birth of a child um, that loss can be experienced anywhere along the way there. So I am a woman who, um, as I would say, has an issue of blood. So I have fibroids. They don't seem to want to go away and they compromise my fertility. Right. And so when I realized this, I had to deal with the grief I was surprised by, um, because whatever figment of my imagination existed around birth, pregnancy, motherhood was shattered by just the fact that this might not be this easy peasy process. Um, so I'm, I think that I'm still grieving the loss of the perfect reproductive situation. Um, why is my body not cooperating with my dreams? Um, 
what does this mean for my status in the world as a woman, as a person who claims a female body? Um, how is that connected to my larger sense of identity in the world? Do I now feel like I can walk through the world as confidently as I did before? Um, so for me, reproductive loss hit me unexpectedly when I realized I wouldn't be able uh, to do it like I had imagined. I think that reproductive loss is a queer issue full stop because lots of, first of all, queer identified people experience the reframing and reorienting of their own expectations around kind of reproductivity um, as they come to know themselves as queer people. So I, in my queer body, am I going to be able to do the things I imagine I would do in a non-queer body? I want to be in a queer body. Um, But what does that mean? You know, if I'm a female-bodied person, I'm queer, um, does that change my um, own expectation of myself around whether or not I'll parent and how? Um, But also more sort of, um, more poignantly for me, um, how do our parents, so the parents of queer children, reckon with their own sense of reproductive loss when their expectations around how they would become grandparents are not met? But in her mind, she had already prepared for this loss, um, that I won't become a grandmother Um, due to my daughter's having a baby because she's queer. Um, And so I think that a lot of queer families go through this loss and they don't know what to call it. They don't know to call it that. They don't know that there is support for that. Is that a thing? When there are straight-identified female-bodied people who experience reproductive loss in this kind of more mainstream way. Um, So that's why I think that reproductive loss is a queer issue because many of our families have to change their expectation around how we will give, bring life. Um, and, and that is experienced as a loss, as a grief. We don't even, we don't even name that it's, uh, that it's complicated for those who are experiencing some, some loss. I like how you said, because of the lack of event. I think particularly in faith communities, so that's where I'm, I'm, I'm organizing and I'm in ministry in faith communities. And we don't, I think sometimes in progressive faith communities, we're so busy being mad at the families who don't get it. Like, we need families to be affirming and welcoming and please just, we don't give any space to the grief that needs to happen or the healing that needs to happen or the sense of loss, like somehow that's become um, oppressive. It's it's tricky because I think um, for those of us who just want to live and be loved, we are impatient about how those closest to us receive us when we reveal to them something about our full identities. For me, the precedent was in the in a Christian context, this notion of blue Christmas services. So that 
an acknowledgement that not everybody experiences the holiday season as joyful. Um, not everybody singing fa la la la. For some people, the holidays um, are an experience of kind of renewed grief um, or um, exacerbated anger or whatever they're feeling because the pressure is on. Um, and I experienced my own loss. My father died in November of 2012. And so I was headed into a holiday season for the first time in 2012 without him. And so recognizing that that might come up then if I'm heading into the, uh, any year I'm heading into the holiday, I'm going to be thinking about him. Um, so I've intentionally created and been a part of Blue Christmas worship experiences where people can just come and we acknowledge the lament, we acknowledge the anxiety, the the anger, the frustration, the disappointment. And there there doesn't need to be some happy resolve. We do some ritual around releasing what's unhealthy about processing in self-destructive ways, but we don't purport to resolve problems for people so that they can leave um, any different. <laughs> um, they leave supported and they leave knowing that other people are experiencing exactly what they're experiencing. So that for me is a precedent. That for me is a model or an example of how we can acknowledge that people are along this spectrum of reproductive loss and we can provide sacred space, sacred time for people to come together and name the ways in which they feel like they've experienced loss um, and provide some ritual so that people can, in their bodies, with their bodies, um, know that they are not only heard and supported by us, but heard and supported by their own, by the, the by the divine. Um, so there are some resources around worship planning for those kinds of services, which is helpful. Um, I don't think that they're widely known though. I think that because I looked for them, I found them. I think Easter is a high point, point because you, you think about overcoming death and that we can all experience that same kind of destiny. Um, as Jesus rose, we arise. Good Friday, the the kind of lowest, darkest point um, in the liturgical year is a space where we come together to talk about what Jesus said from the cross. And we sort of bypass that he was on the cross. So, <laughs> so again, this moment where it's okay on this day, if no other day, to be talking about death, we, we somehow sidestep it. I think particularly as we experience the blood um, of folks running through the streets right now, we need to be talking about death um, and loss um, and not just trying to run and, and claim some victory or make some meaning. Oh, this is the way it had to be. Uh, so, no, I don't think we do it. I don't think we do a good job at all. And I, I hope that not just in my professional role, but as I'm personally evolving as a person of faith, that I'm able to contribute that to the community.